Well, good morning, everyone. I'm going to share with you um, some statistics that you may have seen popping up in the news recently, and I know that we have talked about them here in this room before as well. Um, we are in what social scientists are labeling a friendship recession. So Americans um, report having fewer close friendships than ever before. You can see that according to this Gallup slash Survey for American Life, that in 1990, only 3% of Americans reported not having a close friendship. But 30 years later, that number jumped to 12%. You can see across the board, Americans report having fewer uh, cl close friendships than they ever have. But if we're in a recession of friendship, then we're also in what many researchers are calling an epidemic of loneliness. There was a Harvard research study that said 36%, so more than a third of all Americans admit to serious loneliness. And they describe that as someone having answered on a survey that they feel lonely either frequently or almost all of the time. So 36% of Americans say they feel lonely frequently or almost all of the time. That number jumps to 61% for people aged 18 to 24. So the younger you are, the more likely you are to feel seriously lonely. As a matter of fact, the National Institutes of Health did a pretty detailed study, and you can't see all the numbers on here, but that top graph represents the increase in time that people spend alone. And so over the past 20 years, there's been a rise in the amount of minutes per day that people spend alone. And that bottom graph represents the number of minutes per day that people spend in uh, social interaction with friends and they find that that number has gone down. So in, uh, in uh, tw like, um, tw let's see, uh, 1990, I think the number was close to, uh, or sorry, 2003, the number was close to 60 minutes a day you spent in social interaction with friends, and the number is down to almost 15 minutes a day. These statistics also carry with them some serious health consequences. A study out of Brigham Young University says that loneliness is as dangerous to long-term health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. They know that the negative consequences of lack of close friendships and the negative consequences of feeling consistently lonely are serious and they're a serious health threat. So let's take these things together. More than ever before, Americans feel that they don't have the same kind of close friendships that they used to. More than ever before, Americans are experiencing loneliness. And more than ever before, we know that, that those two things together actually have serious consequences for our um, physical and mental well-being. And so I also know that I'm talking to people in this room right now that we're describing you. We're describing people in our room. We're describing people in this room. We're describing people in our social circles. We're describing our neighbors. We're describing people that we go uh, and we pass in the grocery store. We're describing um, maybe even our children or people in our family who are struggling with a sense of connectedness. So wouldn't it be good for us this morning if God had a message for us about how to think about this problem? about how specifically connection with God and connection with others might be a solution to this sense of loneliness and lack of friendship that we have in the world. 
So we're going to look at a part of scripture that we tend to scroll past. You know when you pull up a website and you know the stuff you don't need to pay attention to, right? The ads and the sidebars to get to the part that you want. The part of scripture we're going to read today tends to be a part that we scroll past. We're going to be in a book of the Bible called Philemon. It's in the back of your Bible again. And so if you go to Revelation and you head left, you're going to bump into the book of Philemon. And uh, it's only one chapter long. It's um, the shortest letter that we have recorded of Paul's. And, uh, and we're going to just look at a handful of verses, but they tend to be verses that we, we're used to scrolling past, like greetings and thanksgiving, da-da-da, yes, I know it, we're familiar with it, it seems formulaic, and we tend to skip it. But what if there's something important for us today in these verses? So I'm going to put it right up here at the front. Grasping what these verses say today is key, it's going to be key to grasping the message of the entire rest of the letter of Philemon. And it's going to be this. Our connectedness to a fellowship of faith, a partnership of purpose, a community that belongs to Christ, our connectedness is key to living as God would have us and is key to experiencing the full maturity that comes, to be- comes from belonging to Jesus. Connectedness is key to experiencing all that God has for us in the Christian life. So would you go ahead and read with me? We're going to read verses 1 through 7, but we're actually going to focus on verses 4 through 7. So let's read Philemon starting in verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask this morning that you would do some refreshing of hearts, that you would do some comforting and some joy bringing, but also that you would do some challenging and some some poking and some prodding so that we might be the community that you have called us to be. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, before we dig in, let's go ahead and look at some brief brief background on the book of Philemon, and it's going to help us see where we're going in this passage. So we notice right at the beginning, this book is written by Paul. We know in general, the New Testament books are arranged by author and then size. So Philemon is the smallest one. That's why it comes at the end. It's not chronological, but Paul is in prison. We're told he could be in prison in Ephesus, which make this come earlier in his career than the letters we've been recently reading, or it could be a later imprisonment in Rome. We're not sure, but Paul and his companion, and Timothy are say, say they're writing this letter to this man named Philemon and then to a woman named Aphia, which we assume is his wife, and then someone named Archippus, which we think could be uh, is probably Philemon's son. And then the last addressee is the church in your house, the church in your house. So Philemon is wealthy enough to own a home that could be used to house the church in the town that he's at. Now, I won't bore you with all the reasons why, but most scholars believe that Philemon is the, is the person who has opened his house to the church in Colossae. 
And we believe that most scholars, not all, but most scholars believe that Philemon was written at the same time as the letter um, to the Colossians. This is the same church. This would be the same people. We see a lot of overlap in names and content. And so this would have been a town in kind of modern-day Turkey, like the western part of modern-day Turkey. And it was a place that Paul had never visited. And yet somehow Paul has met Philemon. So Paul was well, or Philemon was wealthy enough to be traveling. Paul knows him. He's aware of him. And in general, this is, he's writing somewhere um, to when, and when Philemon has returned to his church in Colossae. And why is he writing? Well, word has come to Paul about this church of, that's in Philemon's house. Words come to him, and it's mostly really good things. And we think that some of the word, at least, that has come to Paul has come from a man named Onesimus. And it turns out that Onesimus is an escaped slave from Philemon's house. Somehow in the process of running away from Philemon's house, Onesimus has caused damage, whether financial or otherwise, and he, he had to run for his life. It was very dangerous for an escaped slave. It was, a, it was a, um, uh, a crime you could be executed for, and so he had run away. And somehow in running away, he had bumped into Paul, and in bumping into Paul, he had become a follower of Jesus. And so now Onesimus, the former slave, and Philemon, the former master, have something in common that they didn't have before. They both now belong to Jesus, and they're both friends of Paul. And so to Paul, why is he writing this letter? Because he's sending Onesimus back to Philemon with the expectation that Philemon, because of his trust in Jesus, will now receive Onesimus back as a brother, forgive the debt that he is owed, and receive him as a friend. So this letter becomes based around this idea. The letter is based around this idea. The friendship and partnership and fellowship that comes through Jesus to his followers makes claims on how we live. And that fellowship and friendship and partnership is essential to experiencing the mature Christian life. It's a message of Philemon. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to talk about three things we can learn about Christian fellowship. What are three things we can learn just from these four little verses here in this greeting and this thanksgiving? What are three things we can learn about the partnership that comes in faith, about the, the Christian community that we have, about the friendship and the fellowship that we belong to? Well, here's the first thing that we learn. We learn that partnership in faith is a reason to give thanks. Partnership in faith is a reason to give thanks. So look down at verses four and five again. The scripture says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Well, first we see that Paul's connection with Philemon and with the church in Colossae is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. That means that the friendship that Philemon and Paul share, that the connectedness they share, that the partnership that that church and Paul shares is not an accident. It's not just a byproduct of happenstance. It doesn't just happen to be what's going on, but somehow God is doing something intentionally. If, the, if what's happening in Philemon's life and in his church is the work of God, then it also can't be something that Philemon has just produced on his own. Then if we can give thanks to God for what God is doing among us, then it, then it must be God at work in some places. It means also that God, friends, God becomes the rightful object of thanksgiving for the church. 
when, when we celebrate the work that the church is doing, the different parts of the body of Christ, what we're really celebrating is that God is work at work. And so that Thanksgiving does not belong to any particular leader. That Thanksgiving does not belong to a particular ministry. That Thanksgiving does not belong to the biggest givers or the people of the most means or the most popular or the ones who are most involved. When the church is doing what the church should be doing, the thanks belongs to God himself. God deserves the credit. And if God deserves the credit for the good things that are happening, then we have to be sure that we don't deserve the credit. Even though Philemon is characterized, we read it here, characterized by his love for the saints. So his, that, that idea of being characterized by love is being characterized by a generosity of spirit, an outpouring of, of saying, you're more important than me, that somehow Philemon has been treating the people in his church with loving kindness. He's been demonstrating a selfless giving to them. And it's been so significant that news of it has reached Paul in jail. Not only that, Philemon is characterized by his faith, so his active belief, his, his trust in God as the one who is working and doing things, that all of this is defined by um, his love for Jesus and who he is. And so even though Philemon is demonstrating this love and this faith, the thanks still belongs to God. These ideas of love and faith really do go together all across Scripture. I think specifically of Galatians 5-6, where Paul again says the only thing that counts The only thing that counts is faith, trust in Jesus, expressing itself through love, the care for other people. And so here's Philemon doing the thing that Paul says counts, faith expressing itself in love. We can imagine that Philemon, if this is true of him, that he's defined by his faith and his love, he's probably someone people liked a lot, right? He's probably well-respected in his church, People probably really appreciated being hosted by him in, their ho- in, in his home. He was also, we can assume, because he was wealthy enough to own slaves and because he was wealthy enough to have a site where the church could meet, that he was probably a generous guy and he was probably important in his community as well. And so notice, Paul is saying something suddenly profound when he says the partnership of faith is a reason to give thanks to God. Because the suddenly profound thing that he's doing is reminding Philemon and his church, that the good and the generosity and the faith and the love that has come out of Philemon's life is not Philemon's doing. It's God's doing. It is to God's credit. Sometimes when we see important big personalities who live a a materially blessed life, we think somehow God approves of them more, or God likes them more, has poured out his blessing upon them more. But Paul's first words here are to remind us that the love and the faith that get poured out into God's church is really a gift from God. So the first thing we learn is what? The first thing we learn that that is the faith, partnership and faith is a reason to give thanks. Here's the second thing we learn. Partnership and faith is a motive to pray. Look back down at verse 6. Paul says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, universally, um, it, is, it is decided that this is one of, is the hardest verse to translate in all of Philemon. 
Um, as a matter of fact, it may be one of the harder verses to translate in all of Paul's writings. And so different versions are going to translate this verse differently. It's, it's a struggle for people to figure out kind of what, what pieces belong with what other pieces in this um, particular spot. But we, there's a couple things that we know. What can we tell from this? Well, we know, can tell first that Paul is asking God, Paul is asking God to be at work in Philemon's life. Paul's asking God to be at work in Philemon's life. Paul is invested in seeing God do something in Philemon. But what else can we tell? Well, we can tell there's an additional growing and maturing that Philemon has to do. If Paul says, look, I'm praying that God would be moving in your life in this particular way, then somehow Paul assumes, even though Philemon has got a lot of things right, he's got a lot of things to grow in. So scripture is saying, hey, there's this man who has a lot to commend him, this person who has a lot to commend him, and yet there's places that God still needs to stretch and grow. And so so Philemon, I'm praying that that God is going to do something in your life. And specifically, Paul says that there would be a deepening of understanding that that Philemon needs to experience, that the deeper understanding comes from this thing called sharing the faith. Now, this is where we have a problem, right? <laughs> because for us, we have this idiom in our culture about the phrase sharing the faith. When we hear sharing the faith, we assume we're talking about evangelism, right? We assume we're talking about when we go out and we tell other people about Jesus and we ask them to trust him and we invite them into the kingdom. But that's not really a, a helpful translation here. As a matter of fact, I think the NIV does a little better here. The NIV says, translates verse 6 as saying, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. The word that the ESV translates sharing and the NIV translate partnering is the word koinonia in Greek. It's most often translated fellowship. So here Paul is saying important, listen, Paul is saying something very important. He's saying, Philemon, Part of the growing you need to do is going to come as you share in the faith, as you participate with others in the faith, as there's a fellowship that comes in knowing Christ. And in that sharing and in that sharing of faith, in that partnership, that community that comes as you trust in Jesus, there is some growth for you to do. That that partnership is going to be effective in you, Philemon, so that it will produce in you a full knowledge of all the good things that God has for you. Paul isn't saying, go share your faith, and I'm I'm hoping that it's effective. He's going, be involved in the community of faith. Be involved in the community of faith. Be partners with the people around you so that you can experience the maturity that God has for you, Philemon. The best that God has for you and me, the way to maturity is a mutual sharing with others in faith. Paul's asking God to provide Philemon with the full knowledge of every good thing. These are words that have to do with a completeness. And really the word maturity fits here because Paul's going to use that word maturity over and over in the book of Colossians. So to the same church, he's saying, look, I want you to grow. As a matter of fact, in Colossians, he says, look, I'm dedicated to you guys growing in the faith to full maturity. It's what I've, I've poured out all my energy for, Paul says. And so he's saying to Philemon here, there's a maturity that comes in mutual partnership with others. There's a, there's a knowledge of who God is and his goodness to us that can only come 
by being friends with other followers of Jesus, by being intimately connected with the fellowship of people who belong to him. I was talking to a, a former student uh, this, this weekend. She, I haven't seen her in years and years and years. And uh, she called me up, and she's going through a tough time, and she wanted to talk about it, and we were talking about what she was going through. And as I was listening to her story, there were several times she paused. She said, but then, you know, my, um, my colleagues at this place that I worked, they were good to me, and they said this. And then later she had said, oh, and then I had a phone call with my mom, and she just reminded me this thing, and it was really helpful. And then my friends reached out to me, and they said this. And as we got um, on in this conversation, I was able to say to her, you know that those things, they weren't just because you have good colleagues and a good mom and good friends. Like Those things were God's ministry in your life. That somehow, in connecting with other people, we experience a growth in knowledge and in the good things that God has for us. And so here's maybe a helpful summary for us of verse 6. This is how um, uh, Douglas Moo um, paraphrases verse 6. He says, Philemon, I am praying that the mutual participation that arises from your faith in Christ might become effective in leading you to understand and put into practice all the good that God wills for us and that's found in your community and to do all this for the sake of Christ. So, first two things. What are we learning about partnership? Well, we're learning that it's a reason to give thanks. We're also learning that it's a motive to pray for maturity. It's a motive to pray that people will connect in relationships. It's a motive to pray that people will be known and share in the faith. And what's the third thing? Well, partnership and faith becomes a source of love and comfort. Partnership and faith becomes a source of love and comfort. Look down at verse 7. The scripture says, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul is saying that somehow, personally here, he has experienced the love that Philemon had to offer. In experiencing that love, he has also experienced joy, a gladness. And he's experienced comfort. That word comfort is paraclesis, which we get the word paraclete, which is one of the descriptors for the Holy Spirit, the one who brings comfort, the one who encourages. But not only that, we're told Philemon has refreshed the hearts of the saints so that even the community around him, just by his participation and just by his love and his presence, is somehow experiencing a refreshing That word refreshing is often translated in the New Testament as the word rest. And so in Matthew 25, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's the same word as refreshing. Or when Jesus says to his disciples, Come away with me and rest. That's the same word as refreshing. There's a sense, friends, there's a sense that in a community, a healthy community of faith, in in this partnership, in, in believing God, this community of friendship that God would have for his people, that somehow we experience a rest for our hearts. That that heart, that inmost part of who you are, finds a steady state when you're around other followers of Jesus. That there's something we are to experience in community that kind of brings everything down and says, hey, I don't have to strive and I don't have to try and I don't have to pretend. The way we say it over in the youth wing is that you don't have to be awesome. But that when you're around God's people, you find a rest 
for your soul, a refreshing in your heart, and that it comes not just because God is good and God is doing something mysterious, but it comes in the work and ministry and friendship and connectedness that we have in the body of Christ. Rest for our deepest selves. We don't have to pretend to be anything else. Imagine it's a really hot day and you're out working in the sunshine. You're struggling, you're doing everything you can, you're, you're really working really hard and then someone comes to you with a cold glass of water and offers to stand in the shade. This is, this is what Paul is describing here. This is what God is describing for us, that somehow in a community of faith, we would experience that refreshing, that rest that comes because we're known and we're loved and we are safe. You know, following Jesus is hard. Living the way that God has called us to live in the world that makes many demands of us. And it would be neglectful for us not to remind each other that Paul is writing these words from prison. And he's writing them to a church that is facing many challenges with false teaching and and the the influx of some some, uh, um, Gnostic teachings. And, And so he's writing to people in difficult circumstances, and yet he's telling them that in each other, You will find a refreshing for your hearts that the good things that comes, the joy and the love and the comfort that you have in partnership of faith with one another. And so we have these three things that we learn. We learn that this partnership, this community of faith that God intends for us is to be a reason to give thanks. It's to be a motive to pray. And it's to be a source of love and joy and comfort and safety and rest and refreshing for the deepest parts of who we are. And so I want to ask us, do you want this? Do we want this to define us? Do we want these things to be true of who we are? Do we want to be a gathered people who give thanks to God for the way we see him at work in the friendships and connections we have with others? Do we want to be a people who are praying for the maturity that comes as we share with one another in the gospel life? Do we want to be a people who experience the joy and the comfort and the love and the rest that comes from being united with other people? Because our fellowship is to be the venue for those things. Because we need Christian fellowship. We need partnership in faith. We need friendship in Christ. And because we need it, we must learn to be it. We need it. And so we must learn to be it. Wouldn't it be great if Christians took up the crusade against loneliness? Wouldn't it be great if Christians took up the battle against the friendship recession? Wouldn't it be great if we were known as a place where weary souls can find rest and acceptance 
and love and connectedness. Friends, it's a blessing that we have this amazing facility where people from our community can come and be connected. But, but don't miss, we were meant to be the place of connection. Not a building, human beings. We were meant to be the place that people connect. We were meant to be the safe harbors of love and joy and rest for other people. We were meant to be those who reach out in friendship and love to others. We need these things, and so we have to become them. And so I have some questions to ask. When you think about your community of faith, when you think about the people that you're connected to in partnership of faith and sharing in the faith, is it safe? Do people fear judgment? Do people fear being put down? Can people be themselves around us? Are we open? Are we transparent and humble about our doubts and our struggles and our fears and our shortcomings? Are we trying? Can people hear reports of our love Do people hear reports of our faith? Are we sacrificing our time and our expectations and our assumptions so that we can invest it in relationships with other people? Are we letting go of our own preferences so that others may feel more comfortable around us? Are you hungry for these good things that come from a healthy partnership of faith? If you are, then we have the perfect example to turn to. The ultimate friend, the ultimate connection, of course, was Jesus. Notice that that Paul can say we have this partnership in faith because we already have this partnership in Christ. It's as Bob described the baptism this morning, that we are connected with one another and in communion with one another because we are connected with and in communion with Christ already. And so Paul can call Philemon a brother. He can call Timothy a brother. He can call Onesimus a friend. He can call Onesimus a child because they are connected in these relationships that come first through Jesus. And so you have Jesus who says, who are my mother and brothers and sisters? Those who do the will of God. Or maybe even more importantly, Scripture says in John 1, to all, to those who received him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Why can we be this kind of community? Because Christ has already done the work to bring us into himself. And now we're connected to him and we're partners to him in a way that we can't fully understand or fully imagine. But we are one with Jesus and because we are brought into his family as followers of Christ, we are now brought into this family and now we have to start asking ourselves, do I give thanks for it? Am I experiencing maturity in it? Am I experiencing joy and comfort and rest in the fellowship of believers I find myself in? Jesus taught, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. 
And within, within hours of saying those words, he went to his cross and he laid down his life for you. So you and I become his friends. Jesus gave his life so that we could be partners with him and partners with one another. It was a precious gift. It cost so much. And so I ask you, do we value it? Will we protect it? Can we nurture it? Part of what God has for you and I in Christ is not Christ only, but it is a whole family, a whole fellowship, a partnership, a community of friends, a partnership in the faith that comes from being part of his family. Friends, we need it. Our, our culture needs us to be it. We need this kind of sharing of faith. And so we need to learn to be it. Let me pray. God, I know that sometimes we're tempted to, to fly past verses like this. And so I thank you that we could slow down and we could reflect on our need for a community of faith, our need to be connected, our need to be a safe place for others. We thank you for the example of Philemon, and I know that there are so many in this room or watching online, there's so many who are walking right in his footsteps, who are a source of love and joy and comfort, who are sharing their faith and sharing in the faith. And I thank you for them. God, I also ask that like Philemon, we would seek the full knowledge of the good that you have for us by seeking a deeper participation in the community of faith. That in a mutually shared partnership of trust in you, you might be challenged and stretched and grown. We might know the maturity to which you have called us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.